One of the central tensions that I've been navigating as a content creator over recent years is how much and to what extent I center myself in what I create and share. Part of that is a matter of comfort level. Over recent years, I've developed stronger and I would say healthier boundaries around how much of my story, my personal experiences, my beliefs I share in a public space. And the internet is effectively a public space. But part of the tension I've felt is also a genuine desire, a want to facilitate centering others' stories and lived experiences and identities and expertise in what I, in part, help to create and share on this platform and through my company, The New Story Company. I don't want it to be all about me. And this tension that I'm describing to you is what I I think you heard coming through in our last episode. If you haven't listened to it, you might want to go back and listen. It's called, Why Do We Need New Stories Anyway? And it was an unscripted solo pod. It was just me kind of monologuing into the microphone like I'm doing now, uh, in which I, I opened up and talked a bit more about myself than I have in the last year over these podcast airwaves. And I wanted to challenge myself to record and share an episode like that. Um, that deliberately centered me and my story in an episode for you so that you could learn more about me and and why we're here and who I am. Not to make it all about me, but because story, you know, to, to be doing a podcast about story and storytelling and the importance of it, but to not tell my own felt a little bit like a contradiction um, or even hypocritical. And I wanted to um, offer myself and my story, my experiences in a free-flowing way to help us potentially find resonance, to share some empathy and compassion with one another, and to connect more deeply. And I also thought it was just high time for me to practice what I preach and share my own story with you and to hold myself accountable um, to you listening. And I've been, I've been so grateful for you listening throughout the year. And I do hope that episode has helped bring us a little bit closer together. Today is a bit of an extension of that original uh, intention in the previous episode. Um, I'm calling this a tables turned episode. I've, I'm with permission republishing an interview that I gave in uh, around this time last year in 2021 with an old friend of mine, Greg Berg, who interviewed me on his podcast, which was called uh, the Life on Purpose podcast, in which we as old blogger and content creator friends who have known each other and shared space in the blogosphere for over a decade, each reflect on our creative and professional journeys. We relitigate some of the pros and cons of solopreneurship or creative entrepreneurship as an individual or you know, solo, that's the solo part of solopreneurship. And we chart how dramatically the social and cultural atmospheres in the personal development world have shifted across the decade. From the New Story Company, this is The New Story Is, a podcast that explores the stories, perceptions, and ideas that have come to shape the world today as we know it. Along the way, we speak to talented guests who are championing the new stories that may shape our collective future for the good. I'm Dee Rosillo. So today, again, uh, not a talented guest like the many that we've had on across the year. This will be me uh, interviewed by my friend, Greg Berg, um, who is quite talented. He's a former radio DJ out in Southern California. Uh, He's hosted uh, many incredible episodes with many incredible guests over the years, multiple podcasts. And this instance of of turning the tables on, on myself as interviewer, I hope it does open up 
broader, maybe slightly more complex, more engaging ideas and points of conversation for us to have moving forward in the future. And I hope it continues to deepen our relationship, you and I, uh, as a listener to the show. Your feedback, whether it's good feedback or, or criticism, is always welcome. You can email me, hello at thenewstory.is. And we will be back soon with more interviews for you. So until then, please enjoy this conversation. Allow me to hand off the podcasting mic to Greg Berg. Uh, and, and as we turn the tables on my usual role as interviewer here in the podcast, Greg, take the wheel. Joining me via Skype from Rhode Island, it's Dave Brasillo. Dave, welcome back to Life on Purpose. As I referenced in the show intro, this is a very unique conversation, a different conversation than I've ever had before here on the show for a variety of reasons, foremost of which is I have a power outage happening where I'm recording today. And so I had planned to contact Dave and say, let's find another day. Let's, you know, this is not working today. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to have internet. I may have to just use my cell phone to pull in cell signal. There's no power. I'm kind of going to be sitting in the dark other than the, the light coming in. You can't see that, but, but I'm sitting in a half dark room and I didn't have time to do my normal show prep for this episode. And the Greg of 10 years ago, who was interviewing Dave Ursillo on Radio Enzo number one, the very first podcast episode that aired on July 11th, back in 2011, which is mind-boggling to me, that Greg would have said, nope, can't make this work. I just, it's too stressful. There's too many X factors. The Greg of 2021 says, you know what? Let's give this a shot. We're going to go with flow. We're just going to, uh, you know, we've, we've sat with the waves that came in today, the power outage and all the X factors involved in that. But we have tools and technology for both the ability to connect and tools and technology for ourselves to ground and focus and be in the moment and to be in my, my breath, to be centered and to have a conversation, a deep conversation that I couldn't have done, I don't think, 10 years ago. At least it, w- it wouldn't have gone well. And then that's really the gist of why I wanted to have this conversation. We are inviting, as I mentioned in the show intro, Dave Rosillo back for a 10-year retrospective. Hi, Dave. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that there's something particularly vulnerability-inducing when we lose electricity, when we lose power. Like in the grand scheme of things, it's a very small occurrence and something we're actually quite privileged to be like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with myself. But every time I lose power, if it's for a number of minutes or for a number of hours or on occasion over the years, a number of days... It is one of the single most disruptive, like, but ordinary things to happen. And I think it actually does set a really nice table for us to have a conversation about change and adjustment and evolution and looking back. Sometimes I think as much as I'm certainly a creature of habit and comfort at the end of the day, but there is something that facilitates a really meaningful conversation or maybe just really honest and earnest, vulnerable reflections when we're a little bit off kilter. So yeah. we'll, we'll ride those waves, like you said, and see what comes of it. Yeah. And what's interesting, Dave, as you said that, what came to mind to me was that I'm literally uh, in a power outage, but sometimes we metaphorically lose power. We lose mm-hmm. our own power. We lose connection to source and connection to other people. And it happens every day. And you mentioned being mm-hmm. a creature of patterns and habits. And, you know, if I look back at the past 10 years, I think there's nothing greater that I've learned and no skill that I've been working on honing is pattern recognition and 
developing the self-awareness, first of all, to be able to recognize those things. And then the ability to pause and have what my friend George Mumford would call self-regulation so that, okay, I'm not going to just instantly react the, mm. the sort of the instantaneous freak out pain body. Oh my God, this can't work. I'm like, okay, those are the feelings I'm having in the moment. We're going to let those flow. We're going to let those kind of move across the sky of our consciousness. Mm. And then we can respond and then we can take a moment and say, okay, well, maybe we could pull this off. Let's, let's see. Okay. Well, what do you think, Dave? Can we do this? Yeah, I think we absolutely can. I, I think what I find really fascinating, Greg, and we can, of course, divert back towards a, a more uh, big picture view on the conversation we've, we were planning on having about this 10-year this retrospective and the personal growth and different things. And I was, I was going back to your old Radio Enzo website and things, and that would brought up a whole lot of memories, some, some good, some not good, many in between, um, more, me, more for me, me than, than for you. No, me too. Yeah. 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 I think that tends to happen. We leave a, a breadcrumb trail of our whole lives and beliefs and things and personhood on the internet. But one thing that I've been learning more and more lately has been how our brains as well as our minds are reactive in such a way that we talk about in personal development circles a lot around how the brain or you mentioned the pain body gets reactive to certain situations and feelings and experiences. I've been really intensely personally studying how that response is essentially designed to protect us and how that physical response is not something easily turned off with the mind, with thoughts or with mollifying feeling. And, you know, we've both been on journeys of exploring mind-body connection and things. And I'm more and more interested to continue to learn how our physical body holds on to memory and how our physical body dictates certain responses and how to move out of those physical responses with more than just thoughts or words, which is a little bit tough for me to say just because I'm such a word person, <laughs> a word story person as I have been over the years, but we'll probably come back around to that and some different reflections on, I would say privilege among other things. And I'll make a note of that here, but we're, I think breaking some interesting ground for our 10 year retrospective for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Einstein's quote uh, is that we we've all heard. And it's a quote that I always come back to. And it, it comes to mind when you said that Dave was the, the idea that we can't solve any problem from the consciousness uh, that created it. And so if this ch challenge problem, what we want to call this, we're processing it in our head. And we think that our, our brain or our head is going to have the answers. As you said, we have to really move to other areas. We have to move to our body. We have to move to other senses. We have to move to other tools to be able to effectively solve those we have to get out of our head and, and not that i don't think the brain is an amazing tool and one of the most amazing uh, things in the universe we have this tremendous ability to process and formulate and use that tool when we need it but it's not the be-all end-all so we'll definitely try right. we'll come back to that so dave let's go back in the wayback machine <laughs> let's do it all right 2011 i yeah. remember Learning about Dave Ursillo, I think if I if memory serves me correct, you popped up on some sort of Danielle Laporte phone call or webinar mm. in 2011, mm. and maybe were referenced in some sort of blog post or something by Chris Gillibo or Jonathan Fields or one of the people I was following back in the day. 
because uh, we w- we both attended the very first World Domination Summit in Portland, Oregon, WDS, which is how mm-hmm. we met. But before that, you had already come into my consciousness. I had learned about you or heard your name. I remember, uh, and I looked back at my show notes. I, I, I think I was using a different platform for show notes in the first year, so I couldn't find my notes from year one. Uh, in their entirety, but I found a few notes from our second conversation. And just to let everybody know, I think this is Dave and I's fifth conversation, in, including a video chat mm-hmm. at some point over the year, which is great. And uh, so Dave Ursillo of 2011, <laughs> take me mm-hmm. back to that guy and we'll talk about your journey. For, we have the, the similar stories from wanting to go into politics and being a body man and leaving that world behind as I did as well. Mm. Kind of our Mm -hmm. parallel tracks, even though we are years apart in age, but yeah, take me back to Dave Rosillo 2011. Where were you? What were you doing? What were you thinking? Who was Dave of 2011? Yeah. Very, uh, very therapy, uh, question. (laughs) Right. Um, Yes. We're on a couch. I feel like we're on a couch. I should be taking notes here. It's going to be very therapeutic, uh, our therapy. (laughs) Cathartic. Yes. Response. Yeah. Right. And cathartic as well. But yeah, it's, it's interesting, Greg, because like I was saying a moment ago, I went back onto your website, onto the radio and so website. And I was like, Oh, you know what? I might for, for my prep for this interview, I might go back and actually listen to, listen to the interview and I think the file wasn't working. As, yeah, I, I did the same best. thing. I tried to listen yeah. as well and it, well, I couldn't pull it up. So probably for the best. And you know what? I probably do have it somewhere in some hard drive, but the point is it was enough to see, you know, the photo I used at the time, uh, the, the, the bio that I had written for myself and all these things. And I'd say in a word, cringy is probably the first word that comes to mind, right? Um, looking back on yourself 10 years ago, looking back on how you described yourself, I would say it was both very similar to how I would describe myself now and, and very different all at once. The me of 10 years ago. So when we had that conversation, our first conversation, I was living in South Boston, Massachusetts. I was living with two buddies of mine from college. I was effectively self-employed for the last for the previous two years after leaving my uh, job in politics and in the, that career path in public service and politics behind. But I was mightily struggling with, with making any money, which is important because it's something that I often want to disclose and remind people when talking about self-employment or creative entrepreneurship, which is often times romanticized and put on a pedestal and only looked at through rose colored glasses, which in many ways it's a, it is an extraordinary privilege to be able to try to align purpose and self-discovery with generating income, living well enough and trying to leave a legacy or something on top of it all. It is like the Venn diagram of extraordinary privilege to be able to do all of those things all at once. But, uh, you need to also survive in the process of doing that. I was afforded many privileges in starting that journey when I was, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old and not having debt and having family support and, um, just doing enough to be able to get by. But what I really, what really jumps out to me, Greg, like more than, the business and self-employment side, even more than the creative and writing and service side, as I look back on who I was 10 years ago and think back or like almost time travel back into inhabiting who I felt I was, was someone who was really desperate and longing to understand himself. And I would say that beyond all else, 
that has driven me and my journey in my life more than anything else. Just really, really wanting and needing to know who I was and why that mattered. Why was it so important for me to know, to discover the truth of who I was, to put it in more eloquent terms that we tend to say, what was I here for and what mattered to me? Um, and why was I in a way, subjecting myself to a path uh, less taken that felt very difficult and extraordinarily isolating, despite some really nice moments, like you mentioned, of folks who, you know, many of whom are, are still around. And, and those three that you mentioned, Danielle Laporte, Chris Guillebeau, and Jonathan Fields, all, you know, so far as I know, doing well and, and successful and big platforms and things. And um, little moments like that of being highlighted or, or picked or chosen to meet new people like yeah. you, other great people and creatives in the world beyond what I was trying to do creatively, beyond what I was trying to do thought leadership wise. It was really who am I and why is it so much more important for me to know myself than it is to disregard that or feel like alternatives were disregarding the path of knowing who I was. Yeah, I love all of that, Dave. And that resonates very strongly with me because I was in the same place, even though we are 20 plus years apart in age, uh, I was on the exact same path. And when I look back at the people that gathered at those early world domination summits, I think that that's a commonality amongst many of the people that I met and connected with. And in those days were the guests on Radio Enzo, my first podcast, and the attraction for me why I wanted to hear more about their stories, because I was also very desperate and longing to understand myself, as you said, and then why that mattered and who am I asking me these questions. And it was incredibly, almost intoxicating for me to find like-minded people who were on that journey who weren't trying to fit into some box. So I have a I have done lots and lots and lots of core inner work, um, identifications of old stories and old wounds and things like that. And I have a core wound that I, I might have named mine. Mm. And one of mine is called Don't Put Me in a Box. Mm. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever talked about this on a show before. But mm. uh, yeah, and it's funny because you get these things, these old wounds or stories from your parents, from your teachers, from your best friends, the people you grew up with your relatives. And I had a, a very strong influence in my life who always wore the rebel patch very proudly on their sleeve. And I took on that role as well. This idea of don't put me in a box. I don't want to have to conform, whether it was employment wise, philosophy and religion wise, in, in every area. And mm -hmm. so to start to find around that time period of the early, uh, whatever you call the second decade of the 21st century. We had the aughts first and the teens, I guess, second. And, you know, 10, 10 years into the 21st century to start to discover people like those three that you mentioned, that I, you know, the Jonathan and, and Chris and Danielle and, and, and Leo Babwada first. I, I've traced it all the way back to Leo Babwada in like 2008 and then I discovered Chris through him and then Jonathan through him and then and Danielle and all these people, you know, and, and uh, they were all asking those questions, too. And they were attracting people who were asking those questions. And so the ability to first uh, gather with those people like you in community online and then to be able to do that in person was just remarkable and something I'll be forever grateful for. 
but that also came with challenges that I had no idea were coming in 2011. The, the, just the, you know, the idea of wanting to ask those questions and figure those things out is one thing, but trying to live those and make those questions work and that life work without putting yourself in the box, quote unquote, mm. has ramifications from uh, an employment, a relationship, family standpoint, uh, oftentimes profound ramifications that I wasn't mm. aware of at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's even when you're trying to avoid fitting into a box of someone else's making, you find that there are other boxes. Uh, very, right? Yes, um, very true. There are always boxes and sometimes the boxes have function. And I think, you know, as you were talking, Greg, I, I kind of like had this this image in my head of like the 60s. And I don't necessarily think that what we you and I were experiencing at the time of like the early 2010s was anything akin to like the the love revolution of the 60s. But there was a similar counterculture vibe that was present for us and like for people who are basically starting personal development based so-called spiritual personal growth purpose meaning sort of journeys and narrating them and sharing them and looking to connect through them in that time frame and it i think is very specifically had to do with a backlash against the housing crisis the great recession probably the Bush presidency, at the dawn of the Obama presidency, at the dawn of social media, there was this feeling of things. There was like backlash. There was uh, Occupy Wall Street. There was um, a really rapid period of opportunity that felt available through social media plus the internet. And I think it was a pretty interesting time. Like, I think it was a distinct time. I know it was for me. And I know when I think back to 10 years ago that it felt so young, it felt so full of opportunity. But I wonder also being more objective than just subjective, if it was just me who felt that way at the time about the prospects, about the opportunity, about who I was, about all of the possibilities that could await in this feeling of endless numbers of paths to take almost without repercussion because of where I was at my particular period in life, 23, 24, 25, no family, no house, again, no debt, college educated, hitting all of the privilege boxes, which made me profoundly capable of ignorance and entitlement, like, like being white, like being, being born and gender identifying as a man, being cisgendered, being straight, being, you know, Christian raised and assumed to be Christian by people and having like all these privileges that kind of enabled me the ability to like really mess up, be slow, be a slow learner, be really slow on the learning curve and all these different things. So, but, but I say all that to say, where we connected did feel very unique. And I longed for that period for me personally, you know, in that kind of remorseful way of like, Oh, I never knew how good it was back then. Um, (laughs) Oh, if I could have found the direction a little bit sooner, like all the stuff that we still say to ourselves as we grow older. But I also am curious in your opinion, because about that time period, if it's, if it feels like romanticizing or if it feels novel and unique, I think it may be a little bit of both, but I've also struggled to see that pattern play out over again. Like I don't see communities of people creating gatherings like the ones that we were attending and there being 
these really intensive periods of like networking and relationship building that would last 10 years. They probably exist, but I will put out feelers. I'll have conversations. I'll even sometimes like blast to my newsletter list and be like, Hey, if you're doing something interesting, if you're trying to do something on your own, you're trying to do something new, you're trying to break out, email me back and tell me what you're doing and why it matters to you. And I don't really get responses from people in that, again, that this is a, maybe just like too small of a viewpoint into a much wider conversation that I'm not able to have on my own. But I feel like it was really unique. And I'm curious about your memories of that time yeah. too. Yeah, I would agree with that. In college, I studied radio, television, and film. That was my major and if you look back at the history of broadcasting, for instance, in the West or in the United States, the analogy I would give, it's like television. At one point, there were three major networks and you had a few independent stations and all of America would watch the same shows. And so people were able to have a common thing that they could talk about, that they experienced, whether it was seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show to the man walking on the moon to when Roots aired in the 70s, everyone watched that and, you know, into the, the space shuttle exploding in the 80s. And, you know, every decade there was a, there were certain cultural touchstones and certain things that were happening that everybody could talk about. And then of course, cable TV came along and suddenly everybody has a hundred channels instead of just three networks. And so not everybody's just watching three options. And so then the internet comes along. And so now you have all these websites and you have a few websites at first and now you've got, you know, millions and then, you know, many, many, many websites and, and social media comes along. And so there's fragmenting happening at every level. So it's like a tree mm -hmm. and it's sort of the branches are just getting wider and more, uh, you know, they're just, they're going on like this. And so I think that when I look back at that time, it's similar to what you described. It felt like we were at a unique moment in time where, we have the technology now to find people around the, the world, but you know, primarily in the West, who shared a similar desire to ask these questions and to commune together. It felt, I mean, you mentioned the idea of the 60s, and I guess I, I had the same sort of sense. You know, you hear people describe the summer of love, you know, going to San Francisco, and I, they found their people. You know, they might have been from some little small town in Texas or Maine or North Dakota or wherever they're from, but they gathered in California. They found their people, you know, maybe it, it didn't last. And the philosophy and the ethos petered out for a variety of social reasons, you know, a variety of human reasons. But you often hear those people talking about kind of finding their thing. And I feel like that's what we were experiencing. We were finding all of these people who were out there suddenly decided we're not quite happy with the systems that are in place. We're not quite happy with how society has told us we have to make a living. We're not quite happy with how society has told us that we have to you know, move through the world, have one home, or I want to be a nomad with my laptop. I can live anywhere. I can work from mm -hmm. a beach. I can try to explore these philosophical or spiritual principles, all these things in a unique way that, that were felt exciting and new to all of us. And as you said, there was this sense of people coming together. And then over time, it's fragmented and fragmented and fragmented more. And there are still some things happening out there. You know, the people that we talked about and so many more uh, are still doing great work. And they've done projects that involved groups of people who are coming together. But it doesn't feel quite the same. Like you said, I don't quite see the opportunities for people gathering, whether online or in person, in the way mm -hmm. that we had in those days at WDS or through, I was also part of Jonathan Fields' uh, Good Life Project. Uh, he mm -hmm. ran a summer camp for adults for five years that I was very fortunate to be the photographer for. And it was mm -hmm. a community of people 
that I'm still extremely connected with. I guess I found my tribe is the best way mm-hmm. to describe it. But then mm-hmm. I look back, especially for me, the WDS crowd and some of the other communities I was involved with, and it felt like it splintered. Like people kind of came in, they showed up for a few years, and then they went on to the next thing for them. Yeah. I think that's the thing that, that I assume is just life, right? Yeah. Especially, and I think it feels more when you only have a certain, like a very limited viewpoint into the lives of people, even if you connected very deeply with them, like you, I've been connected with, you know, several hundred people in this world, many of whom I've worked with and have been, you know, clients of mine or I've sold products to and, and you know, tried to help in different ways who have helped me in different ways, uh, bought things from and been coaching clients to and attended the, the conferences. And I think there's probably something a little bit self-deceptive around like when we only get this fractional look into somebody's life or or what somebody's doing. And then that representation like either stays in time on the internet or social media, right? Like us looking back on the old show notes and and the excerpts and descriptions of our conversations from 10 years ago. It can almost feel like walking through a cemetery and you're just seeing these very, very small snapshots of who a person was like literally a name and dates of birth and death etched into stone, not to be melodramatic, but I am melodramatic. And so I'm going to just go with that. Um, but, but that's what it can feel like. And I think it can feel tragic, but if I'm played devil's advocate with my own self, I also think like there are certain people whose journeys I've been able to track who I now consider like friends and, I don't always have as close a relationship to them or as close a connection to them as I maybe once did. But there's also like an understanding that governed by trust that life goes on for them, you know, until it doesn't. I mean, for example, this is, again, where it's a a little bit of a dark conversation. Maybe this is just reflective of the last year and a half that we've had on top of the last five years that we've had, like in the world on top of the last 10 years that we're talking about. So true. Yes, very true. But there's people that we've known and and if not loved, like loved like friends or admired who you've interviewed who have passed away. There's a few people who jumped to mind um, in tragic circumstances. And, you know, like we do in life, you kind of go through it thinking like these people will be figures who last forever. And we talk about legacy and we talk about leaving something behind and almost kind of like encouraging ourselves to do creative work and to effort harder and to live with more purpose and to speak to an audience because of that mortal consciousness that we have, the consciousness, the awareness that we will not live forever. And then when you start to see that stuff happening, you know, you start to see people passing away, whether it's family, friends, whether it's a global pandemic, um, or these, you know, these, these figures who you kind of heralded as something more than human, or different than human, it hits you in different ways. I think it's, of course, always humbling. And I think I've been feeling more aware of that now, not perhaps just because of the passage of time, but because I've noticed personally, still doing what I'm doing today, a lot of change. We can talk, we could talk about like what we're, what we're each doing now compared to then maybe, but I'm also really tired I'm also really tired and I go through these periods where everything is cyclical. So I'll go through these periods of like being super optimistic and trying new things and doing new things. And then periods that kind of like follow that where I'm like, you know, it doesn't work out as well as I thought, or I I change direction, change my mind. And, um, this this is perhaps the life of, of a creative and a creator, but I'm in a phase now. And maybe it's just because 
again, due to personal circumstances, life, world, global, economics, health, of just kind of feeling tired. But when I think of the internet world, when I think of building a business for myself online, when I think of creating and writing books and doing these things, I'm very grateful. And again, I, I will say it until I'm blue in the face, very privileged to be able to have done and still do those things. But um, it's also a lot less rah-rah and a lot more, how much longer do I really want to be doing this? How much longer can I be doing this? Yeah. And I'm sure that that, like anyone listening to this, I'm sure it's not all that surprising. I think more people understand now being internet savvy, you know, having a head and like there's there's a lot less doe-eyed optimism about <laughs> social media and the internet and like the do- democratization uh, and free speech proliferating around the world. 10 years ago, we were like, oh, I think we figured it out. I think we got it. We did it. You know, like everything's going to be better. Democracy is going to go around the world. It's all going to be good. And the more that stuff that people say that probably better off will be. And now it's like, what's in vogue? Getting rid of all your social media. What's in vogue? Disconnecting from the internet. What's in vogue? Finding health benefits from not being online, not being in your inbox, not being attached to your phone. It is like the perfect counterpunch to what we thought we were punching, right? Yeah. Two things I want to reference that you mentioned, Dave. I think first of all is... And this ties in with the 10-year journey is I, I think one of the reasons why you and I are speaking today is because I have continued to follow you and your journey over 10 years uh, because my I'm very clear now that I want to go deep, not wide. And so you mm. referenced the idea that it was you know out here. And so the people that I've kept in contact with, the people that I still follow, and I'm much more selective now, the people that I really want to have these conversations with, it's about going deep and it's about people that have continued to go deep and in new ways and explore and ask these questions like who am I and why things matter and explore the mind-body connection as you referenced at the beginning and the sort of work that you're, you and your evolution from, you know, political guy, public service to my, you know, healers, working with healers, creatives, change makers, the people that you work with, you know, you are to continue to deepen, deepen, deepen. And that's what I want. And so that's why for me, when I, you know, I think the biggest change is in those days, in the 10 year ago days, it was about why let's have this big giant community and this big giant list and do this big work and out this. And I still believe in the ability to affect change at a wide level. That's still a goal. I want to create tools, things that can help people transcend suffering. At some level, I want to do that. And, and I, you know, I don't put a limit on how many people that can be. It could be one. It could be a million, whatever that looks like. But I'd much rather be deeper to go in a deep channel than to go wide. That's more important mm. than me to me now. And so that has necessitated a, a paring down, which you reference people are sort of, you know, checking out, paring down. And then this idea that we're tired. Everyone I know says the same thing. We're all tired. Mm. And that is a function of a global pandemic that happens once every hundred years. And I think it's Mm. really important that we recognize that and give ourselves some grace and ease around the fact that we have experienced something that we've never experienced in our lifetime and hopefully won't Mm. have to again. You know, it's a once it historically has been once in a hundred years. And then, you know, all the, the political turmoil, the media turmoil, all this, there's a reason we're tired. Yeah, And it was the idea that we had to hustle and we had to do all this stuff and do and be all the things. And so Mm -hmm. in that tiredness, 
it's forcing us to turn inward and decide what's important. And so for me, in closing the circle on this podcast from Radio Enzo to Life on Purpose, you know, I've looked back and being on purpose isn't enough for me anymore. That's part of the equation. You know, I, I want to be purposeful in my thoughts, my actions, my deeds, my, my self-talk, all of that. You know, it's, it has to all be in alignment. But just being on purpose isn't enough anymore. I want mm-hmm. joy, fulfillment, peace, love. All the things that are the priorities to me now are more than just the mechanism to get there. Being on purpose is a way of being. It's it's part of the equation, but it's not the be-all-end-all. So it doesn't really work for me anymore just to say I want to live a life on purpose. I want to do a yeah. lot, I want to do a lot more than that. Because there's so many ways to experience purpose than perhaps you and I and folks like us gave credit to years ago when purpose was very perhaps narrowly defined as making a living by working for yourself. <laughs> doing something that's like directly or semi-creative, autonomous, without attachment almost to like anyone or anything. So the whole, like I would call it the myth of the four hour work week that I think, even though I never read that book and the author of it doing damn well, fine. So far as I can tell, don't know him, don't want to criticize him, but Obviously, you know, and like, you know, should any of us be so lucky to have written a bestseller, I'm sure there's going to be plenty to criticize, period, as the nature with any book or anything, you know, ever, any thought, any idea, and they're all meant to evolve and change. But there was this mythology at this time. And again, I think it was a backlash to the Great Recession, seeing hundreds of thousands of people laid off, seeing so many people like lose their savings, lose their retirements and like lose their home in a way that, you know, frankly, these these were issues that were disproportionately affecting, especially like black Americans and people of color in our country for upwards of 400 plus years. But it was really being expressed through like the white upper middle privileged class in a way that we hadn't really seen since the Great Depression. And that was a really disruptive, you know, and there's been, I think, you know, we mentioned being tired and as a random aside, there was this New York Times piece a number of years ago that was distinguishing, again, how describing oneself as busy was a lot different than describing oneself as tired and how there was a distinction in the author's point of view that basically privileged people, when they were asked how they were doing, when the response was busy, it was a privilege masquerading as a complaint. And when you ask somebody who is working multiple jobs just to get by, when you ask somebody who was, was low income and, and really struggling in life, they would describe themselves not as busy, but tired. Oh, that's that's and, an important distinction, Dave. And I, I really appreciate you yeah. pointing that out because that's, that's, yeah. that's, you know, it's specificity of language. And sometimes I find that I can be lazy with my language. So yeah. when I say things like, Hey, we're tired, you know, yeah. I think that's a really crucial thing to bring up. That's a really crucial distinction. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and I think there's probably, there's a lot of layers in there too, right? There's, mm-hmm. Yeah. That would um, be a whole nother hour. I mean, we could have a whole exactly, nother hour about exactly. that. But when you are a big dreamer and there was a lot of dreams that were kind of compacted into the desires and like this idea of like living with purpose, as you were saying, I think it necessarily has to be exhausting because to do it is exhaustive. And I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's a really big reach. Let's just say it's a really big reach. Like we said at the top of the call to want to work for yourself. So to be your own boss 
to do work that is meaningful, that you are in some way good at, if not exceptional at, if not an expert, that you can charge enough money for to work the ways that you want on the hours that you want with the people that you want for as long as you want and to continue to feel good about it through and through. I beat myself up subconsciously and at times consciously for not achieving that, for quote unquote failing because Mm -hmm. I'm a smart guy. I got tools. I'm listening to all these experts. I mean, part of the reason I have struggled with maintaining consistency in a podcast over 10 years in the early days, I was like a Swiss train. I was clockwork. And then that tailed off was because there was a part of me that was running the imposter syndrome story that said, you're learning from all these people. Can't you figure out a way to make this work? Like, you you know, you're not, are you not learning from these people? You know, of course I was, I I, I could write an entire book and and actually sort of started it uh, in a project that I did for my Finding Light website uh, last fall Mm. about Mm. the various lessons and perspectives you know, bits of perspective and things that I have learned from my guests and, and the, the framework for my own life that I've created, the, the various seeds and, and the bits of knowledge and wisdom and perspective that you and every one of them have given me over the years. But there were plenty of times where I beat myself up for that, for not mm-hmm. making that work because the ideal, as you said, this romanticized ideal was out there that we're supposed to be able to have that four hour work week. And I had, uh, my biggest client was a guest on the Tim Ferriss show not long ago. And I can tell you, Tim doesn't work a four hour work week. <laughs> he's yeah, he's right. still doing great work, but he works more than four hours. So, uh, sure. well, Dave, we're, we're going to, you know, we're sort of flying through our time here and we have a laptop battery that's, that's dying because we have no power and you have, you have client things to do, but, uh, two questions I really want to get to before we end. First, uh, we're going to talk about what we're, we're going to wrap with what we're both up to these days and talk about what Dave Ursillo is doing and how he can work with people. But I think this is really important to ask first before we do run out of time. Mm-hmm. Is the Dave Ursillo of 2021 the same Dave Ursillo of 2011? Is like at your core, at your being, are you still the same guy, the same soul with just different, you know, shifting vantage point, shifting ways that we move through the world? newfound wisdom and perspective or are you a different person than you were 10 years ago? Well, I think I'm going to cheat by saying the same, but different, the same, but different. That's a, that's a valid answer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm the same in that I started off, like we started off this conversation as I started off my journey with a need to know who I was. It was, it was not just a want, but it was a need to know who I was. The nature of taking a journey that is inward as well as a journey into the world, like literally or figuratively, is that you are going to change. That is the nature of what it means to be alive. I think that that is a mark of living well, is the, again, privilege, the opportunity, the gift of evolving, of knowing yourself, of changing. We are always changing, not just in a spiritual sense, but physically um, we're always changing and, and mentally and emotionally, I think we're always changing and moving. So to answer your question, I have succeeded in understanding myself and know, I know myself better now today than I ever have before. And I've never regressed in knowing myself. There have been pauses. There have been, there's been stillness. Maybe there have been periods of, of feeling like I've, I've lost myself or I was losing myself or I've gotten away from myself for different reasons, psychological, mental, emotional, pragmatic. But 
within the last year, I discovered that I was a highly sensitive person and that that was a thing that I had never come across before. There's a great book by Elaine Aaron. She kind of coined the term called the highly sensitive person. I just finished reading it yesterday. In fact, finally, um, I'm going into mental health counseling probably as soon as this fall and starting um, going back to, to school to get my master's because I'm still a coach and I love helping people figure out themselves and noticing patterns in speech, and stories and word choices and behavior. And I really love coaching. I want to be educated by professionals and challenge myself and find new peers and go back to school, which is terrifying because I hated school when I was younger. But I'm going back to, to school to get my master's, become a, become a licensed mental health counselor. And that might start within the next few months. And I still want to author books, but, uh, but more to the point like you were making not long ago, Greg, less about the um, number or the reach and more about the quality and, and um, the infrequency, I guess, of, of sharing stories and things that are worth people's time and energy and consideration. So I believe I am both who I was, but who I know myself to be is different than I ever realized. And I'm very grateful for having figured stuff out <laughs> after all this time. I love that answer, Dave. That is a great answer. And I, uh, I might uh, tape an addendum to this because we've got to go here soon uh, for myself, my answer to that question as well. But it would be very similar to yours. I believe we are multidimensional beings. And at some level, our core, our soul, if you will, if you have a religious or philosophical bent that believes there's an unchanging part of us that's always there, it's the same as I was 10 years ago. But there are new layers. There's a, but it's a, it's a continually uh, evolving me uh, who wants to go deeper who wants to not only learn these things but to put them into practice and i think that's for me the greatest difference between me of 10 years ago is this desire to actually step into hard things to step into challenging and difficult things and to put them all into practice because before it was just about learning and theory and reading and taking courses and i i'm kind of done with that <laughs> I kind of, yeah. for now, I'm in a phase where I want to put it all into action and see how I can practice it and how I can screw it up and, and how I can succeed and how I can learn, grow, and evolve. So, living. Yes, living. So, Dave, I know you got to go. Uh, laptop's at 5%. So, in case we oh, die boy. here, I'm going to wish you goodbye soon. <laughs> uh, but what are you up to right now? What is Dave? DaveRosillo.com is your website. Yeah, well, I'm still writing, Greg, and uh, still coaching, coaching people who are writers, who are on personal development journeys, or who are budding change makers and, and thought leaders. I have a variety of, of coaching packages and things that I offer individually and in group. Uh, how our word choices, how our stories shape our perceptions, or like I like to say, our narrative understandings of who we are and what matters to us, and playing creatively in the space of editing, refining, revising those words, not because it changes everything. Because there are still circumstances, there are still systems, there are still forces for oppression and repression in our world. But it does give us the awareness and the conscious power to start to align and refine the direction of our individual lives or choices in such a way that I think is, is quite empowering and reminds us that we can in some way, shape or form author the stories of our lives with whatever power that we have. And like we were talking about, wanting to help people, hoping that it's helpful 
getting some glimpses occasionally through the internet that it is helpful, but also uh, not resting on those laurels and, and still trying to figure out ways to connect with people and and live well and have another conversation in, in another 10 years. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that happens, Dave. And I'm just so excited that we have stayed connected through the years. I'm a fan of you and your work, and I'm proud of you for what you've become and, and continue to step. I mean, you, you've stepped into, you know, an ever evolving version of Dave Ursolo. And I, I see parallels between us in that regard. And it's just, it's been a joy and a pleasure to have these conversations through the years. And I just want to thank you for your time and for saying yes to me in the food truck line at WDS in Portland 10 years ago. When I, I said, well, you know, I we were in the food truck line and the taco truck line. And I said, hey, I'm starting this new podcast. Would you consider being my first guest? And you said yes. And Dave, that changed my life. And I owe wow. uh, a, a great debt of gratitude for that moment. You, you helped propel things forward for me. Give me the confidence to continue forward on this journey. Uh, I'll, I'll forever be grateful for that, Dave. Oh, thank you so much, Greg. I can't take credit. I'll say thank you. But really, this has been all you. It's been an amazing odyssey that you've been on creatively, personally, um, professionally. It's been a real privilege to call you a friend and to consider you like a brother. So thank you for everything. Thank you for reaching out and laying out the red carpet for me, as you always do. Make me feel very good about myself and my and my, my self-confidence. We need to have conversations more often. But no. We should, yes. Uh, we should have the scheduled annual conversations or something. Yeah, so, even yeah. if we're not recording. We may be doing this for a long time, even if no one's listening, Greg. But That no, sounds really, good, Dave. I'm, I'm done yeah. with that. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Greg. It's always a, always a pleasure, and I'm always grateful for our conversations. Thank you. You too, Dave.